As a younger Christian, I would read through the New Testament, and when I got to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, I was rather bewildered by that scripture. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessings from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Is there no hope for these people? It says that it's impossible to restore them if they were once enlightened to the sin and turn away and do the sin again. For example, if a homosexual sees Romans chapter 1, that it was God who turned them over to vile affections, and they say, oh, I thought it was like that Anderson Cooper recently, that newscaster on CNN said the greatest blessing of his life was being gay. Suppose he saw this scripture in Romans chapter 1, which says God turned him over to vile affections. Suppose he saw that and he said, oh, God turned me over to vile affections. So he renounced homosexuality and repented. And then a few years down the line, he returned to that sin. That's what it's talking about in Hebrews chapter 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. There are two other scriptures concerning this same subject. Let's look at them, and then I'll discuss this with you. Second Peter chapter 2. Start at verse 20. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, 
and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. There's another scripture that parallels this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, look at this scripture for a minute, because not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, that means to assemble with other people who are following God by His Spirit. It does not mean just attending church with all types of people who don't, some who don't even have the Spirit of God, others who think they have the Spirit of God, but it's an angel of light leading them. But if you have the Spirit of God and you're really following God by His Spirit, those are the ones you want to assemble with. You may only find two or three people in your town that have the Spirit of God, and so you just assemble in your living room. You can meet anywhere. It doesn't matter where you assemble. But keep in touch with the ones who display they have the Spirit of God. It can be on a podcast such as this. It can be on telephone, email. It could be in any form, but just communicate with them is what this is saying. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. To exhort means to urge earnestly by advice and warning. I have a spiritual gift of exhortation. So I'm put out here to speak to the church all over the world. You might not have a spiritual gift of exhortation, but you warn the other person when you see them going in a way contrary to God, especially if they say they are the church. And, of course, you warn your own children. So, reading again, starting at verse 25 of Hebrews 10. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, If we were to say something like, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do this anyway. That would be a willful sin. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I met a Catholic man once. It's really a tragic story because it turned out his wife was a lesbian. They had three children. One child died in early age, but they had two remaining children. The children were teenagers when I met this man. I don't know whether he divorced her or she left him. I don't know the details, but he was divorced. He was committing fornication with other women after they were divorced. And he would go to the Catholic priest and confess his sins. Then he would go back out and commit fornication. Does he fit this pattern of it's impossible to restore him once he's enlightened? I doubt that he was ever born again. I doubt that he was ever enlightened. Although he's a man who wants to do the right thing, and I have hope for him. There's another man that fits this picture that I unfortunately came across in my life. He was the teacher of our Bible class at Word of Faith Church, which I attended from 1977 to 1982. He was our Bible teacher, and there were good things about him. One one of the best things about him was every time we had a Bible class, he always said, does anyone have a word from the Lord? He always made room in the Bible class for the Holy Spirit to speak through whom he willed. And this is what the church should be. He was divorced and had not remarried. I learned from a woman who owned a coffee shop, I learned that he had a girlfriend. None of us knew he had a girlfriend. None of us at the church knew he had a girlfriend. And she told me something that shocked me greatly about him. And this is just a worldly, secular woman so far as I know. She said, he is such a bad influence on my boyfriend. I was really shocked about that. For we of the church should be a good influence, and and an elder should be a good influence. Now, he was not really an elder, although they let him be an elder at that church. An elder has to be the husband of one wife and has to have his children under control, children multiple. He only had one child and was divorced from his wife. They let him be an elder at Word of Faith, but he should not have been an elder by those requirements in Titus chapter 1. Nevertheless, here I learned that he has this girlfriend that nobody knows about at the church. So I go to him and I tell him, I say, I have heard that you have a girlfriend. And he said, yes. And he was very evasive when I tried to talk with him. And then I point blank said to him, Are you having sexual intercourse with this girlfriend? And he said, Of course. There was no indication of shame. None whatsoever. And I said to him, Oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can have no more to do with you. He said, that's right. 
1 Corinthians 5, Paul told us not to keep company if a brother, a brother in Christ, is committing certain sins. Now let's look at that, 1 Corinthians 5. Start at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother, a brother in Christ, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Don't keep company with that man. Don't eat the word of God with him. Don't go to his Bible class, for goodness sakes. And then Paul explains, For what have I to do to judge them that are without without the church? We don't judge the people without the church, but we must judge those within the church. Now, the people today so often want to do the opposite. They want to cover up for those in the church, and they judge the world. That is just opposite from what we're supposed to do. Paul said don't eat with them, don't keep company with them. And in verse 13, he says, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now this didn't seem like a wicked person. He was, had a wonderful personality. He was very jolly. He seemed to love God. He had an appearance of loving God. He even did the right thing in his Bible class by inviting those of us who had a word from God to speak. And yet he's committing fornication. I knew he was going to the bars. I had already learned that, that he was hanging out at bars. I had a word for him about that. I told him, I said, before you leave for the bars, sit down and write a teaching for me, a Bible teaching, and send it to me by U.S. mail. He did that for five or six days. And during that time, he said, when I sit down to write a teaching, I no longer have a desire to go to the bars. So God had made a way of escape for Don. He'd made a way of escape for him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation but such as is common, but God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. God made a way of escape for this man, and he did it for about six days, but he said he was losing his desire to go to the bars when he sat down and wrote a Bible teaching for me. So he quit doing it and was chasing women at the bars to have sex with them. And they were sometimes making overtures to him to have sex with him. And he admitted that he was committing fornication with this girlfriend. Now, remember Hebrews 4? It's impossible to renew, bring back someone like that. Is there any hope for him? There is one hope for him that I can see from the Bible. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There was a man in the church in this situation who was a fornicator. And Paul said, 
and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, they were puffed up. They were saying, how dare he do that? Or they were saying, well, I wouldn't do that. Instead of mourning over him, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I think that's the only hope for someone who turns back to his sins after having been enlightened to his sins because to do so would crucify Jesus afresh. And we read there's no more repentance, there's no more sacrifice for sin after you've been enlightened and returned to your sin. Reading once again, Paul said, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I immediately withdrew from this man that was teaching our Bible class and committing fornication at the same time. I would have no more to do with him, as Paul said, to, the, to withdraw from him. That might have turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In many years later, I learned, he, he said in a letter to me, fornication is no more a problem to me. And by that, I felt he was telling me his flesh had been destroyed, which I have great hope that that's the case, because if that is the case, well, Paul said once again, look at what he said, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And I hope in his case that his spirit is saved in the day of the Lord. It looks like his flesh was destroyed. There is another scripture that I was reminded of on this subject of um, the penalty. And that is Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. For in this it tells us the penalty upon those people who do not keep the word of God before them to do the word of God, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, start at verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Also, we see the great penalty when you fail to overcome 
a temptation through the Word of God. When you fail to overcome, Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus says to the church at Sardis in the book of Revelation 3, verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Revelation 3, 5. Your name, my name, can be blotted out of the book of life by Jesus. If we overcome through God by calling on God for help in the temptation, by then doing what the Holy Spirit brings to our attention, doing the scriptures, doing the word of God in this situation, we overcome through God. Every time we have a problem, if we will just say, God, please help me, he will. If we say, please, God, give me wisdom, we have a promise. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So in the midst of the temptation, if we ask God for help and we ask him what to do and ask him for his wisdom, he will give it to us. And then we do it. So we overcome the temptation. There is no temptation too great for you to overcome because in 1 Corinthians we're shown this. I believe it's chapter 10, verse 13. Let's look at it. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it? God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able to deal with. But God will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. I have seen people who said they were Christians commit adultery, commit fornication, do abortions. I mean, I've had people in our own church group who admitted these things to me. I'm sorry they did, because you should tell your sins to God and not burden anyone else with your sins. But they told me, so I know they did these things. It says that God will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able to bear, but he, God, will make with the temptation a way to escape. There was a way to escape, but they did not take the way to escape. We must take the way to escape. We must go that way. For our soul, for all eternity, is in danger if we do not. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you about this today.